Hello, and welcome to I Swear I'm Not Crazy, the B2B creative podcast. I'm Mike Ruby, here with John Battistini. We're two dudes who've spent two decades convincing B2B marketers that we're not insane uh, when we propose big creative ideas to drive their brands and businesses forward. John, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I don't know that uh, we've fully convinced marketers over the last 20 years. We're not crazy. I'm sure there are some that think that we are. Nope. Jury's still out there, but how do you like this for a transition? The jury is in on B2B marketing, and uh, it seems that the the market is starting to catch up to what many of us who've been living and breathing B2B marketing for a long time know, and that's it's worth spending money on. Um, according to eMarketer, uh, B2B digital ad spend grew 32.5% last year, and they're expecting another almost 25% year uh, growth year over year for 2021, up to $11 billion. And they're saying all the way by 2023, it's going to be up to $15 billion. So um, that's, that's a, a lot of money. That's a lot of Benjamins. Yeah, that is a lot of money. And yeah, I mean, definitely we're, we're seeing the market is... We're living in this new normal, but we're busy. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but we're we're busy. Yeah, I mean, it's the the pandemic certainly had an impact on most every marketer, but certainly B two B marketers who relied on a lot of traditional and face to face event marketing to get things done, and they've had to had to make a shift. So, John, thinking about the last year, how much of a shift have you seen with your clients? Have they pulled back on ad spend? Have they increased ad spend? Are they just reallocating it to other channels digitally? What, what are you finding? I mean, the answer is all three. So depending on you know the category and the vertical and how they would allocate their marketing dollars pre-pandemic, yeah, especially like what you said, in-person events, they disappeared. So what did folks do? I mean, a lot of people were dipping their toe into virtual events, but then we saw a seismic shift immediately there. It's like, all right, how do we make this digital? What do we do? I saw things shift there. A lot of our clients that do like, you know, maybe products and services for digital offices and things like that, a hundred percent spends went up. And then other ones I saw took a wait and see attitude for a little while, but then, you know, in the last few months have kind of, you know, we're seeing some spend and we're seeing like, we're seeing some clients come through, especially, you know, for a lot of the ABM work that we're doing where spends are there, but they're much, much more highly targeted. And the spends are less one to many and more one to few and one to one. And and that's where we're seeing the spends go and less, you know, less of our clients specifically are coming and say, we need like general lead gen. We're like, no, we need to hit our target account list. You know, we want to hit our ICP. We're not, that's where we're seeing the spends happen much more surgically placed. I mean, is that jiving with what you guys are seeing too? Yeah. I I think what we saw early on was also a a bit of, uh, a bit of wait and see, but that was quickly replaced with, we got to do something because brands realized that they still had to fill their funnels and they had to hit their quotas. Right. So there was a leap in. And the, the other thing that's changed and, you know, we, we saw this and it was reflected in, in some Gartner research about CMO priorities uh, for last year is that there's been a real refocus on brand. Yeah. So, you know, brand kind of was a dirty word in B2B for a while mm-hmm. um, among a number of folks who are, who are so metrics focused that they, mm-hmm. they've sort of stepped away from recognizing that you need to stand for something, you yeah. know, if, if you're going to get people to really engage with your brand and, and what, what we've seen in the market and certainly what we've seen with a number of our clients is a recognition that if 
all people are going to interact with is your digital presence and your digital brand. And you don't have a content experience and you don't have a digital experience and you don't have a story that's worth telling and worth consuming, you're going to get totally lost. Um, so yeah, it's, been, then- it's been, it's been neat to see that, you know, yes, people are spending more on digital marketing, but they're also focused much more on how does their brand actually become expressed through that digital marketing? No, and I think that's important. I saw this especially with some of like our larger manufacturing and industrial clients where it's like, you know, the 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 exchange of the product is in the millions of dollars. And there's got to be a level of trust with that brand and not just with the product. Sure, the product is good, but who are you? Do you stand behind it? What do you represent? Maybe I've got shareholders that are holding me accountable to corporate and social responsibility goals for my company. And I need to use products and vendors that support those goals too. And the only way you could tell that story is through your brand. It's, it's you know, B2B for so long was just like, this is my product, this is my service, it's all that matters. It doesn't matter who's behind the curtain, but now it does matter who's behind the curtain. Cause when I'm looking at product A and product B, I don't want to high. I don't want to pick one of these products that's really greenwashing. If I need to know that I need X amount of my vendors to be hitting certain corporate and social responsibility goals, like myself. So your brand story becomes more important than ever. And I think you know, B two B marketing and B two B communications are so inextricably tied together, even more so maybe than in consumer. I would agree with that, um, and it's interesting, and it leads us to what our topic for this week is going to be, which is. How the heck did we get into this, right? So, you know, as the world is beginning to, to, to recognize the importance of B2B and B2B storytelling and investing in storytelling through digital, you know, it, it, it seems that there's a, an interesting breed of people that find themselves as long-term B2B professionals, especially B2B creative. Um, We've talked about this before that there, there, there's long been a, a bit of a perception or I, I, I would say misperception that you can't be creative in B2B and that there's kind of a staid or staleness to it when people are so product focused on some of these things. And uh, I've had the opposite experience. I, I think, you know, you've told me and we talked about in our last episode, you've had the opposite experience. So I, I thought it would be interesting to, to talk a little bit about uh, how did we find our ways into these careers? And, you know, for our listeners, how can they, you know, if, if they're new to this, you know, and they're, they're finding our podcast and they're interested in a career in B2B, how do they find their way in? And for other creative leaders or agency leaders who are looking for the next generation of, of B2B creatives, um, what have we learned that we can use to help them recruit and find mm-hmm. the right people and the best people and get them motivated to take up a career? Um, proving that they're not crazy like us. <laughs> that is a good question. I mean, the jury, like I said, the jury's still out. Maybe we are crazy, but how did I, how did we get here? I mean, I started on a career in B2B, not realizing we were doing B2B. I mean, my very first job was at an agency, an incarnation of the agency where you and I met when I was first out of college. Um, I mean, my very first job was at a music magazine as an art director, but um, you know, my first agency job, I started in the studio, but like we were working for brands, like it was a magazine publisher. And the first things we were doing were, I started in the studio, worked my way to being a digital art director and doing all that stuff when the internet came out. But like the idea was we were doing ads for the magazines, for brands to advertise in the magazines, which is B2B. And for me, it just made sense. Like having worked at a magazine, it was like, of course you run ads to get 
sell ad space in your magazine. Like it didn't even dawn on me that that's technically B2B advertising. I was just like, we're, we're advertising our product, which is our magazine, you know? Um, so that's how I got started in it. And it got started as digital because I was an art director. And one day somebody came in and they're like, we have to make these CD-ROMs. Yes, I'm old. There was no internet. Um, and and they were geared towards like different, you know, different one was like roll your electronic encyclopedia and stuff like that. Like they were like, we need to use this software. Can you learn this? And the next thing you know, I was designing what I had been designing ads. I was designing interfaces. And I've been digital ever since. And that's, I mean, that's how I started. The, the weird thing for me, though, is I studied this in college. So I wanted to be in advertising. So I went to college. I studied communications. I minored in English. I concentrated in advertising. Like, I remember my senior year, I did an ad campaign for a fake skateboard company as my senior project. So I actually went to college and studied it, right? Ogilvy on advertising. Like, so I studied this in college, you know, how about you? I mean, was this like, did you dream of being a chief creative officer when you were little Mike in the crib? I didn't know what a chief creative officer was <laughs> to start with. If you um, figure it out, let me know. Cause I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Well, I, I, I also love the fact that you had to caveat your your entry into the field by saying when they invented the internet <laughs> so you know it's okay i'll date myself in this as well in a minute um yeah i i had no intention of ever getting into this field and in fact um when i interview people i i if i find that they went and got a marketing degree i say why the hell did you want a marketing degree mm -hmm. i it, it never quite clicked for me as to why that was a thing until mm -hmm. i was actually doing it um and i still pretty strongly believe that the best creatives don't come to advertising creative because they wanted to do advertising. They wanted to do something that had craft and storytelling to it and learned how to apply that mm -hmm. to telling meaningful stories and creating meaningful messages and creating exciting content that will help people make good purchase decisions. Right. right. So I, I went to film school and had every intention of, of being uh, the, the next Quentin Tarantino because everybody of our generation wanted to be Quentin Tarantino. Like seeing Pulp Fiction literally changed my life. Uh, from the ages of about seven to 14, I had my heart set on being a play-by-play -play sports broadcaster. Mm. I wanted to be Bob Costas. Like I, I wanted to be, uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, Marv Albert. Get in trouble for one of them. One of them got in trouble for. No, it was Marv Albert who got in trouble. Okay. So I was gonna yeah, say yeah. I wanted to be like Marv Albert, but I didn't want to be like Marv. Yeah, Albert. don't be. You don't want to be um, like that guy. Don't no, be. No, don't be Marv Albert. Don't be Marv. <laughs> um, and then I saw Pulp Fiction and went, "Oh mm -hmm. my gosh, you can write something like that!" And I understood. I, I suddenly mm -hmm. understood what it meant to be a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, but I also understood I was gonna have to pay for things like groceries while I was trying to write the next great American screenplay. And so I took internships doing PR and marketing mm -hmm. and communications writing. And the film program where I went was in the communications school. So I had that to fall back on. Um, so, of course, I got my first job in advertising answering the telephones. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so it was like all of that stuff didn't even matter. I was uh, I, I was writing and I was performing as, as an actor in New York. Um, and in between gigs, I mean, I was actually even doing a show at night. Um, but I got a part-time job through a temp agency mm. answering the telephones at 
the agency where we met, which is mm-hmm. now called Stein IAS. At the time, it was called Stein Rogan and Partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was answering the phone three days a week while the receptionist uh, was off getting uh, another, she was off doing another degree. Um, I was a great disappointment to the UPS guy who was always like, where's the pretty lady who usually sits up here? And I'm like, you're stuck with me, pal. <laughs> um, and here's my opportunity to date myself. The majority of the work I was doing as the receptionist, aside from answering the telephone, was filing invoices from the print house, from the print shop, mm. because we were sending all of the print ads out for proofs. I see. Yeah, I wasn't there when you started. I was working, I'm pretty sure at, I think I, that was when I had my own digital consultancy and I was building what I know now as B2B microsites and content microsites for big membership organizations and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So I, so I quickly, after they realized, like they, they had me do some research on office plants mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when they saw, oh my gosh, he's got, he doesn't just have a smooth, silky voice on the phone. He can actually do something. Um, they said, cool, you can do research. Mm. Would you help our chief strategy officer? Her intern is leaving for the summer. We know that you're leaving to do another tour. I was do I was you know doing a national tour with a, a theater company. They said before you go, will you stay on a couple extra weeks and help her out? So I started doing PowerPoint decks and doing basic research and learning what positioning and messaging was. Mm-hmm. And I went away and did my tour and came back and. I was asked, do you want to come back and keep working? And I said, as long as I can keep auditioning, you know, mm-hmm. and doing shows at night. And they said, sure. And that's when I met you. I was do- doing, uh, I was doing research and putting positioning together for uh, a publisher. Um, I think it might've been Rodale. And oh, maybe, yeah. I think, okay. it, I think it was for, for one of their, uh, one of their food publications. And we needed to cut together videos of some of the qualitative research we were doing. Okay. And they said, go talk to John and help John put these videos together. Yeah, it may have been what it was, but I thought you were a copywriter at that point. I switched over. So yeah, that's, so that's so what I'm what... saying. You weren't in the strategy group. No, we met, so I... you were a copywriter. So I started in strategy and when they had an opening in copy. Right. Um, I leapt at it because, you know, I, I got to give credit to the, the the woman who hired me there. She she said, you know, Mike's a really good writer if we need somebody. Yeah try Mike out, you know, even though she knew she might lose me from strategy. Right. Cause that's and, when we started working together. You were a writer. Yeah. So you I started. Writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a writer. I, I am a writer. Hopefully right. I will continue to be a writer. And, Hopefully. uh, yeah. and so I moved from, you know, so I spent a good chunk of time learning the basics mm-hmm. through strategy, but then got to turn that into copywriting and then took off from, from there. And so, but you know, I think that's that's important to, to bring out because both of us have come into this kind of sideways, different ways. Like, and I think part of, you know, when you look at storytelling, part of like when I went off and did the weird like digital stuff and UX stuff and really like figuring out empathy for the user, that translates into who the buyer is now. And you're talking about like doing that stint in strategy. It's one of the reasons I loved working with you. You were like, well, what's our insight? Tell me something I can use because, you know, the brief maybe doesn't have that. And I think that's, you know, we talk about history. I think some of our side tangents as creatives, I think have made us stronger creatives now with the type of B2B creative that's needed. You know, sometimes I look at a buyer journey and the creative, it's like a puzzle. I love puzzles. And it's like, all right, we've got six buyers. We've got to do this thing. How do we put it together? And like, you know, maybe this thing connects to this. And like, well, if I have this story, I could tell it this way. And 
to me, I always love puzzles. And I feel like part of my career is like, I've always looked to the next puzzle and B2B was just the next puzzle. You know? Yeah. I, I love hiring tangent people, as you're mm -hmm. saying, I like, yeah. you know, as they, they used to be described in, in the days of <laughs> Da Vinci polymaths, yeah. right? Folks who are good at lots of different stuff. Like if somebody were to say to me, you know, like, what does John do? Like, if, aside from being a creative lead, I'd be like, all right, well, he's a digital strategist. He's a developer. He's an editor. He's a director. He's a concept guy. Sometimes he writes copy. Like, not well, you're, but <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then outside of that, yeah. you know, you also owned an apparel company and now you make yeah. content with RC cars and you had a toy company and like, all of those so what you're saying is I can't keep focused on anything and maybe I've got ADD. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, uh, why the hell are you podcasting? Don't you have something else to be doing? Exactly. Um, it's like, but no. it's the same thing with you, Mike. Like, it's like, who's Mike? Well, he's a singer. He's a writer. He's written plays. They've been produced. He's acted. You know, I mean, it's like, I think that's part of it too. Like at my new place, one of the first things I did when I talked to my team was like, so what's everybody's side hustle? And I'm not getting you in trouble. I want to know what you do outside of this because- I don't want to hear that this is your be all end all creative outlet because we're working for clients at the end of the day. And this can't be your bliss because it's never going to be. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I, I ask the same thing. And, and one of my favorite things with the people on my team now is that they have incredible side hustles. I've got a guy who has started the first spiced rum company in Scotland. Wow. Um, I got another the guy. Scotch people like fight him. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like did they show up with pitchforks and kilts and be like, Arr. no, uh, that, that's that that's a terrible Scottish stereotype. Even though he does wear kilts on occasion, um, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. but he he's got he's got a rum company. I've got that's another guy. Cool. Yeah, I've got another guy who started a who's making his own handmade backpacks. He taught himself how to sew, and he's nice. designing backpacks. Nice. Got another guy who builds furniture. Mm -hmm. um, I've got another guy who's got golf apparel. He makes ball markers and towels. Um, uh, we've got a, a, a woman who's a hardcore cosplayer. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I've got a, 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 another woman who, um, she makes her own greeting cards. Nice. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of wacky mm -hmm. things on the side that are fascinating and that I think bring, there's just that extra level of curiosity. And I think, you know, every mm -hmm. art director is probably an aspiring photographer, right? <laughs> I mean, there was a time in my life where I wanted to be a photojournalist, specifically a war correspondent photojournalist, till I realized that they get killed. Um, so yeah, I was going to say just, you're 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 too much of a chicken for that. Yeah, I know. I don't want to do that. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll be a photographer. This is when I was in college before I graduated. And then I, you know, talked to a few people that did it, and it was like I learned that, um, you know, you're going to spend your career like taking pictures of babies and weddings. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. So that was that was that was not going to work. But I did toy with that for a while. But even so, like, you know, from that photography thing, like, remember, like, the first time we had a client that was like, well, uh, I can't afford a director. I'm like, I'll direct it. I mean, it was a complete and utter disaster the first time I did that. But the second one was great, you know, and then we made some good commercials. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what do you what do you, you, you talked earlier about really liking to solve puzzles? Yeah. And, and that a lot of what this is, is, is kind of puzzle solving. Um, what is it that you, you love specifically about B2B? Like why, why do we do this? You know, I think, I think that pe some people in general will say, you know, 
consumer advertising, there's potentially bigger budgets with some clients. Absolutely. There's there's the the, the fact that you might see your commercial on TV. You, most people can probably go out and yep. buy your product, whether it's something you eat or something you wear or something you drive. Um, I don't know too many people who drive the big industrial tractors that maybe you and I have worked on. So like, what what is it that keeps you hooked on this as a creative person? I think it's up to you to find interesting and cool ways to, to, to make it come to life like that. And I think when you find the right clients, you can sell that. But what keeps it interesting is um, I, I'm going to backtrack a second and say, I think it's actually an unfair comparison to say like, well, consumers just more excited. Yes. Nike ads are probably a lot cooler. I would venture to guess that there is an art director kind of copywriter team sitting in an office right now, concepting a new Swiffer commercial that are pulling their hair out saying, this is the most boring thing I've ever done. Why am I doing this? So I I think B2B gets a bad rap because there's a lot of uh, consumer packaged goods products out there that make commercials that are terrible that I look at and I'm like, I would kill myself if I had to produce that. I, I did an interview once with somebody who, who, who asked me about B2B versus consumer. And I, I, I thought the same thing, like they were, they were really pushing me on it. And it was, uh, the, the reporter was really leaning into, you know, the, it, people say B2B is boring. Like that's like, I'll it just, I'll be. just say it. Like it feels it absolutely can say be. it because it feels like a dirty word. Yep. Um, and I, I shot back and I'm like, do, so do is think- dog food. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was like, you can, you're going to tell me the dog food commercials or soft drink commercials where you have to show the person sipping the drink at least three times? Like, are those any more exciting? I think you're entirely right. It's what do you make of it? Well, I think it's also like, I remember this years ago, we interviewed someone and we're looking at his book and he had some stuff in his book. It was print stuff. And it was a very, very well-known campaign very famous, been around for a long time. It involved celebrities. They were drinking a certain product. It would ask if you had that product and they had a mustache of said product on their face. And I was like, wow, that's in your book. I'm like, you, you developed this campaign. He's like, no, I, I didn't develop it, but I made these ads. And I'm like, what do you mean you made these ads? These ads make themselves. Like, I don't need you to make this ad. It's like, what do you mean you made this ad? It has two lines of copy and a picture of a celebrity with a mustache. He's like, why, well, you know, I picked this celebrity and I'm like, boy, that's real creative. Like to me, I feel like in B2B, a lot of times you're creating something from nothing as opposed to like so many and consumers like, well, I worked on that campaign. What'd you do? Well, it's been running for 17 years and I made that one ad. I'm like, yeah. you mean you follow the brand guidelines and you picked the new celebrity? Like, what did you actually do? Yeah, it's, it's the guy or gal who did the 500th absolute vodka ad. Um, exactly. And that's what I feel like. I feel like we don't run into that as much in B2B and it keeps it fresh. And that is something, at least in my experience, that's what I've gotten out of it. Yeah. And and I think you, you bring up something really interesting as well, which is what I like is that we sell vapor sometimes. Like if you're selling a SaaS product, yeah, there's no thing there. It's the reason that you, it's the reason that so much of not very good B2B work exists is because they're, they look for, and I find this is the immediate trap that a lot of new creatives fall into in B2B. They look for the immediate analogy. And so those analogies become tropes or cliches because it's easy to say, all right, well, if it's strategic, you know, people play chess and that's strategic. So that's what, that's where I'll go. Um, 
it's you know I, I, we got we got to talk about the chess pieces in everyone's powerpoints right now is that well is that you know credit we're gonna add a puzzle piece for uh well, for cre- good credit measure where, credit where it's due a for a, you know a former colleague of both of ours at at uh, at, at a, our previous agency um he literally put together a book of 101 b2b cliches and yeah. they're spot on like yeah. There's only so many hands shaking and chess pieces and crystal balls and track runners and all these other things that you can get by with. What's interesting and where you have to really push the creativity in B2B is how do you take an abstract idea and communicate it in a way that makes sense? And, and let's, not be only cl- makes- let's be clear though, Mike, there are cliches in consumer too. We could write a book on that if we wanted to. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. you know. But anyway, you were saying like, yeah, how do you take no. this abstract concept and- bring it to some sort of reality, I would say for us, especially in the last few years, in a digital space. Yeah, which has become even harder and harder still when, when you consider that, you know, what what are the tools that you have available to make right. this stuff? If you're if you're budget constrained, you know, and you need to continue to generate, you know, again, that big d- digital media budget means you need to make a lot of content. Yes, yes, you do. So what are you going to make if you don't have a physical product that you can shoot and put new beautiful headlines over, right? Yeah. What do you, how do you make something that, you know, at my agency, we call them an idea that scales, yeah. right? How do you have an idea that, and I think you and I talked about this the last time we spoke, how do you create something that's going to have longevity and yep. work everywhere? And that's, that's a fun problem to solve. It um, is. And I, and I think it's what's led to also that shift in B2B where I know you and I've discussed this before, not on the podcast, where it's like what you're seeing from a creative standpoint is we're not talking about products and services. We're not talking about features and functionality. We're talking about benefits. We're talking about how it helps you. We're not talking about the product. We're talking about the end user. You know, that's and we're talking to them and we're selling them on authenticity and we're selling them on trust and that they can believe that the claims that we're making will make their lives better. And to me, that's what makes it interesting. I'm not selling a widget and I'm not talking about said widget. I'm telling you how I'm going to make your life better. So do you think it takes a certain type of person or a certain type of creative to succeed in doing B2B creative? You know, you were talking a little bit ago about looking at portfolios and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think we've, we've looked at thousands of portfolios at this point in our career and sometimes you just see it and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't. And it doesn't mean that there's even necessarily B2B work in the portfolio right. to see a spark. You know, I hired somebody who you and I used to work with because he made a storybook about his career prior working in teaching English and mm-hmm. writing television scripts for The Price is Right. Like... Yeah. It can be there. So do you think do you think it takes a certain person and or are there certain skills that you look for when you're recruiting a B2B creative? I'm going to say no, I actually don't. Um, I don't think it takes I think the same skills and the same thing that would make someone succeed in B2C is going to make them succeed in B2B. And I think I would say those same people where I see it and I'm like, this person's not going to succeed in B2B. I would say I think they're going to be making those same dog food commercials and they just don't have that spark even in B2C and they'll just be a mid-level creator turning out creative, turning out packaged goods, TV spots for the rest of their career. So what do you, so I guess then in, uh, in more general terms, then what do you think it takes to be a good creative? And are there certain areas that maybe you need to lean into a little bit more as it pertains to B2B? Yeah, I think, I, I think, 
for me, what I look for is I look for, and understanding that like, you know, sometimes you can't do things because of clients and this and that, but I, I do look for like, you call it that spark, that one thing, like, what is that thing that makes me, is there anything in their work that I'm jealous of? Is there anything in their work that makes me uncomfortable? Is there anything in their work that I go, huh, that's an interesting approach. And those are the things that just make me go, things that make you go, hmm. And I think that that's what it is. It's like, you know, it goes back to like, I don't know if you remember a million years ago, we're working on those spots. We're looking at directors and like, we're getting those director reels. We had that one guy, we're not going to name names. And like, it was like, you know, he had like the horses running on the ocean and the commercials and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And then we got Joseph Kahn's reel in. And like on the reel was the, 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 the YouTube video where the thing explodes and it spins around in 3d and someone's like, blah, blah, blah. Look at this. It's beautiful. And it's epic. The other guy. And I'm like, but there is an inherent view, beauty in what Joseph did when you look at this and the way he did it, that I think supersedes that other one, which is of course, a freaking white horse at sunset driving on riding on the beach in the water is beautiful. But like, I feel like anybody could have done that. Joseph brought a beauty to that. It's like, it, it's seeing that. And sure enough, we sold it and we did it. And that spot was amazing. And he was amazing to work with. But I think it's, it's looking at that. And I think you're really good at that too, Mike, is looking at someone's portfolio and seeing kind of below the surface and being like, oh, this was an interesting problem you solved. I bet you can think through stuff to have gotten here. Well, th thank you for thinking I'm insightful. I don't know that my children would always agree, but no, um, yeah, that comes <laughs> with being a dad. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, I, I would I would agree that I, I I think that it's the ability to solve problems. And here's where I might disagree with you, actually, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Hot take. Um, yeah. No, all good. I I agree overall that that you the same principles apply to great creative wherever it goes. I think the difference for B two B and the thing that I'm looking for in a portfolio, or at least the thing that I'm looking for when I'm speaking with a candidate is whether they have the ability to think about complex things. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, I don't want to make that sound like somehow like, you know, elitist about, Oh, they've got to mm -hmm. be smart. Like anybody no. in advertising has got to have some level of smarts to them, whether it's book smarts, street smarts, empathy, you know, a high EQ, whatever mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. But I think that there is inherently with all of the complex pieces that are there, you have to be able to connect a number of dots. Mm -hmm. Some people are better at it than others. Like I think that there are people from a consumer standpoint who are probably better than me at finding an emotional trigger and really locking into that single emotional trigger. Like mm -hmm. I know I'm good at it and I can make somebody feel something, but I don't inherently necessarily look at it the same way. I think I'm a bit more cerebral, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's going to, mm -hmm. if somebody's going to classify things. And I think that there is, even in the funniest B2B content, even in the most passionate B2B content, I think there's a level of complex 3D chess to go back to our chess mm -hmm. pieces that's there where you have to be able to understand how do I create an emotional and a practical analogy and make that connection with somebody. And I think that people can do it in consumer work. I think you can have that level of complexity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can have that level of complexity, you know, selling chewing gum. Uh, know, absolutely. Even, and I even, think you're even right. though I pick on selling chewing gum. But mm -hmm. for me, it's always like I look and I'm like, all right, well, what's the hard I think you put it best, like, what's the hard thing you had to solve? Mm -hmm. Like, where is it where you had to suddenly take these disparate things and 
make it really click in a way that made something that was complex make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's what I look for. I think also like you're good at seeing that, but I think also, you know, that kind of gets back to like, how did we get here? It's like, well, you were an actor and you were also a director and a writer. So, I mean, where else do you have to like, you have someone in front of you auditioning for a thing that doesn't exist yet. You have to look past what's in front of you and see what it's going to be. I mean, you and I have done this together. We watch like, we've seen a movie then we watch the casting and we're like, wow, that's an interesting choice. And you watch their audition. You're like, oh, no wonder they picked that guy. Oh my God. Like how often have you seen that? Like when it's a pretty, you're like, that's the guy. That's the oh, gal, you know? Oh, totally. Sorry to, you know, to, on our, on our, our tangent to nerdville that we'll yeah. often take. I mean, I watched a great behind the scenes video of, of how they cast the Marvel films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, it's funny. I think I've look, seen the same one. Yeah. You look back at the casting for Thor and you're like, yes, really? Mm -hmm. Those guys, that's Thor. That's Loki. Mm -hmm. And like the, the, the second you saw the film, you totally got it. Yep. And now there, there is no, there is no universe in the multiverse that I would want to be in where I didn't see those two guys playing Thor and Loki and mm -hmm. where I couldn't see them leading a movie. Right. Although I would watch, I would watch a, a thing in the multiverse. If Melissa McCarthy was Thor, I would totally watch that movie. That would be a fascinating take. Yeah, I would watch that. I'm just throwing it out there. Somebody wants to make it. I would maybe one of the what ifs I'm just saying. Outstanding. Yeah. But um, no, it's the same thing. I think like, I wonder if like, you know, part of your background and what brought you to this makes you better at seeing that, you know? It's, it's quite possible. I mean, I, we've had teammates that have also worked, you know, pure play consumer and they've come in and they just knock it out of the park. I think oh, yeah. it's just a matter of, do they have that ability to see things a little bit, uh, a little bit differently? And I think um, also, even if like, or are they willing to at least try? Because I think, I think not that like, look, I'm not saying it, you, you either get it or you don't, but I think there's some aspects of what we're talking about that is teachable. And, and so it's like, oh, I've never dealt with a product where there's a buying committee and there's seven people, but I've sold this product, this I'm like, oh, so imagine if they, you then had to sell it to this guy too. How would you talk about it differently? Oh, okay. I mean, you know, it's, I think some of it is some of the B2B aspect of this is teachable, you know? So I, that's a, a great point, you know, but how do we, how do we get people excited about it then? Like, how do we get people who are coming out of Miami ad school or who are coming out of um, any of the, the, the big marketing programs or who are just coming out of any kind of creative training? You know, the industry is on a whole asking, how do we get people to be interested in advertising again when they're all going and working at tech startups? But mm -hmm. how do we specifically get creative people who have a whole lot in the tank to start thinking more about B2B. Oh, it's easy. We just have to pay them more. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, the answer is, I don't know. I mean, that's tough. You're always going to get people that are going to thumb their nose at it. They're going to look down on it, you know, that are going to say, well, you know, I want to do the next, you know, Super Bowl spot. Okay. I mean, that person is not going to want to do it, but I think, you know, the more people like you and I talk about it, the more we push our clients to do the best creative, the more we get it out there. I think also the more the way the world is changing and the, in the, in, you know, the world of industry has become, I mean, tech is most tech is B2B practically anyway. So it's like, I think, I think, you know, are we doing ourselves a disservice by segregating ourselves? Maybe, but I think, you know, the more we and the people like us that we could talk to in our contemporaries that, 
push the envelope, the more people are going to get excited by it. It's the same way, you know, back in the day, it's like, I don't want to do direct. I don't want to do this. Like I got news for you. Everything with any hundred numbers direct. So it's like, right. you know, everything with a call to action is direct. We're all doing direct now. We never want to do direct. It's got a CTA. It's direct. Yeah. Um, so, so, so short answer number one is it's not on, it's not on, on everybody else to accept the B2B is better. Um, it's, it's about on us, us making to make the it work better. better. Yep. That's what um, I say. Yeah. It's a big, it's I, a big burden. Mike, can I, you do that for me? Can you get back to me in a week and have it better? Thanks. Be yeah, no, no problem. It's all going to be better. Yeah, cool. Totally, totally done. Well, Got I, those I, TPS I, reports for me? Thanks. Yeah. I need <laughs> you to come in on Sunday. Yeah. So I, I think that's a big part of it is to continue yeah. to keep pushing the envelope. If we really want people to continue mm-hmm. to, to want to do what we do, um, we've got to give them a platform where they think that they're going to be able to do that and where the agency cares. I've had a number of conversations with folks who I've hired over the last year where they've said, look, I didn't know anything about B2B before mm-hmm. I came in to work with you, but I could tell based on the work that you guys were doing and the way that you talked that creative was going to be something that was important to this company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I and have two was- creative directors that I, that I work with that are spectacular that had no B2B experience before this. And I, and I, you know, and they took to it like no problem, you know, and it's, it's just like, it's, it's, I, I think it's like, as long as you are willing to embrace it and you can, but they're both good problem solvers and they both can think through complex things. And, you know, so it's like, I think that's what makes them good B2B creatives. Where, where can we find these people? Where are they hiding? Like, That's you know, a really uh, good question. Uh, and, and, but in all seriousness, I think they're hiding in plain sight. I think they're hiding in plain sight and it's up to us to be able to look, look, I've seen this and this is a frustration that I have. And you and I have probably had the same frustration too. When we freelancing and stuff like, you know, we've got a client and they do this. So we're going to need a freelancer, permalancer, full-timer for this, to work on this. Get me some books. Well, I tried to get you books, but nobody had that exact thing in their portfolio that you're asking for. And I'm like, I know that. Can you just get me books? So I find myself being like, well, look, get me books of somebody that maybe has worked in this vertical. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, it's a complex thing. It's got to do this. So I think, I think they're hiding in plain sight. And the way we find them is throwing away our preconceived notions that say, if I don't see exactly what I need and looking for right in front of me, I discount them. I need to look at that, delve below the surface and say, you know what? In order to have gotten this, they probably figured out X, Y, and Z. Let me talk to them and see if I can see if they know how to make that leap or it was just luck. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would totally agree with that. But I, I'd still, I still go back to an offshoot of the question I asked earlier. <laughs> how do we convince them? Oh, how well. else do we can, you know, so let's, let's say we are doing spectacular work. Mm-hmm. And let's say that we are finding them and they are, they are saying, all right, well, I can go do this with you mm-hmm. um, or um, I can go sell the next app or widget that's going to be around for six months and then disappear and I'll have my flash in the pan, but it'll, it'll look pretty in my portfolio. I mean, I think that's also on us to be great leaders and to make a place where people want to work on our teams. And that's the only way it's going to work because you, you're not going to, it's, it, we have clients now that are in like the financial services and things. They're like, you know, we're competing for talent out of college with Apple and Facebook and Google, and we're a bank. 
It's like, how do we compete with them? It's like, well, you've got to make them want to work for you. You've got to tell your story. The things we were saying we do for our brands, we have to do for our agencies and our creative departments. And I'm not talking about free lunches and like startup stuff. Like I'm saying, we have to say to them, like, you're going to be challenged, but you're going to do some of the best creative work of your life. And then you're going to be able to leave here and go do anything you want. You know, and I think that's what we have to foster a culture that does that. It's up to us as the leaders to foster that culture within our groups. I, absolutely. I, one of the things that I say to, to anyone who I'm, I'm speaking with, especially younger talent, is uh, I would hope that you're going to stay with us forever and that this is a, a wonderful, long, fulfilling relationship. But if it's not, I promise you that mm-hmm. when you leave here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have made sure that we as an organization have made you so darn good for whatever your next thing is. So yeah. if your goal is to be a creative director, I would love for you to stay with us and become a creative director here. But if you become a creative director someplace else, you're, you're going to have gotten the skills to get there mm-hmm. because we will have built that in a way for you. And you will learn about so many different things that you may mm-hmm. not have ordinarily been exposed to because... B2B makes the world go round. Yeah. And, and I, I feel lucky to have worked at places that have fostered that kind of um, culture. And like the last agency I was at, you know, that I just left on very good terms. Like, you know, there's so many boomerangs there. I mean, I was at Stein where we met. I went back and forth a couple of times. And it's like, I like working at places where you hear about people returning because it means that means they want it to be there. They may leave and they may go do off, go other things, but then they come back because it's a good place. And that's that I want to, I want to build a place like that. And I think that's what we need to do. That's what we do. You know, we build places where people don't want to leave or if they do leave, they want to come back. Yeah. So parting words of wisdom. If, if there is a, a young creative who's found our podcast because they were probably looking for some other topic aside from B2B marketing, um, and they've stayed this long and they want to think about how they get into a career in B2B marketing, what, what would you recommend that they do? Contact either one of us on LinkedIn and we're happy to talk to you. That is a fantastic piece of advice. Um, I, look, when I was in college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I talked about the war photographer thing. That was a mistake. And like uh, a friend of somehow someone, my mom or dad knew someone and they put me in touch with this guy. I do not remember his name. He was amazing. And he took me out to lunch. He was Woody Allen's editor and he was editing one of Woody Allen's movies in the city. And I remember he, he took me out and I could swear it was like, what was that? What was the Anthony Bourdain restaurant that was like right across from Stein when we worked there? Oh, I can't remember. Yes. Um, a famous uh, one. Yeah, fr- 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 French restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what I you're talking about. I could swear that's but... where the guy took me, but he took me out to lunch. Okay. I was in college. I was probably a sophomore. He showed me how he's like editing the films. And, like that. and it was like, it was that. It was that, like the fact that he took like the afternoon off and like showed me this stuff and like talked to me and asked me what I wanted to do and just showed me that level of, showed that level of interest in what I wanted to do and just told me what he did. I want to be that guy for the next generation. And that's what I probably when people like reach out to like, Hey, would you talk to me? It's like, yes, gladly. You know? And I think, I think that's what we do. So the answer is I would say, just reach out. I am happy to chat with you. That is excellent. And if you do reach out to John, the restaurant that he may take you to in New York is called Les Halles. No, I think it's closed. Isn't it? I think the one on park closed. Yeah, I, I don't know if the one closed. down in the yeah, financial yeah. district is still open. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're only, I'm only taking you if you're vaccinated. It's a New York city restaurant. So anyway, fair enough. Yeah. Yes. So um, contact John on LinkedIn and yeah, happy to. Uh, present, pr- present proof of vaccination. And, uh, and then we can go to a restaurant. 
Yeah. And then you can go to a restaurant and off you go and do a career in B2B. Yes. You can um, come first. But yeah, no, I mean, I mean, can you think of anything else? I and mean, that's what that's what I aspire to to be that guy. I, I would agree with that. And I think that anybody who's who's looking to start getting in, you know, if if you're just starting out, don't be afraid to put a, a B2B case in your portfolio alongside your you know, alongside your spec work for Nike and your spec work for mm-hmm. um, you know, beats headphones. Do some spec work for IBM or do some spec work for HPE or do some spec work, not for Uber, but do it for Uber Freight or for Uber Eats advertising to restaurants. Um, There's plenty of great brands out there uh, that if you put something in, you can prove that you really know a heck of a lot about some really interesting categories. And it'll show even a consumer creative director that you've got the ability to really think outside the box and take on different types of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. I think that's a great idea. Cool. Excellent. So, what are we? What are we? Uh, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? Well, next, I think you're going to eat tacos with the family. I am going to go eat tacos with the family. Yes, for because sure. it is. It is. Uh, we are recording on a Wednesday, so it's not quite Taco Tuesday, but no. you know, we'll we'll hang in there. And uh, I think we will be reconvening soon. And on for our next episode, I believe we're going to be joined by a special guest. So. We're going to try. We'll see. We'll keep that under wraps as to who it is, but we are trying to uh, to bring in a special guest. So fingers crossed that, that our, our, our schedules align and we can make that happen. Yeah. But until then, uh, I'm Mike. He's John. And uh, we swear we're not crazy. Oh, maybe a little. Bye, everybody.